wherever in the world you are. Welcome to the Health Zone Show with Mihal O'Mahuna, where with each episode I explore interesting health and well-being topics with a thought-provoking guest. These topics can range from nutrition, relationships, spirituality, finance, creativity, mental health and much, much more, so that you can live a healthier, happier and more authentic life. Guests on the show vary from health experts, spiritual teachers, finance wizards, sports legends, to ordinary people with extraordinary lives. Find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show, or you can also join our Facebook group, The Health Zoners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, pin interest under The Health Zone. Check out our new updated website, www.thehealthzoneshow.com, and at the moment, you can receive a free copy of my latest ebook, Seven Ways to Boost Your Overall Well Being When You Join the Health Zone. Today, I'm chatting with author Naguil Tultik, Master of Transformation and son of Don Miguel Ruse, Don Miguel Ruse Jr. Hello, Miguel. Hi, Miguel. How are you doing? Very good. How are you? Doing well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. It's such an honor and a privilege. Thank you. You're very welcome. So, Miguel, I know your father is the author of many New York Times bestsellers, including The Four Agreements. But what inspired you to follow in his footsteps? Well, to a certain degree, I'm actually following my grandmother. It's, uh, it was her desire to con- open up the tradition to a community. You can say that uh, we come from a lineage of Toltec Eagle Knights and teachers. Our, her grandfather, Don Ezequiel Macias, taught in his own unique way. He lived to be 116 years of age. And he, uh, you know, the, the thing about an oral tradition is that it goes back as far as living memory. So it was my great grandfather, uh, my great great grandfather, Don Ezequiel, who began, well, at least in our tradition, to share it. You know, we don't. I don't know the name of his father. So he shared it, but to a very few people. And then his son, Don Leonardo, he found a way to teach it through music. And he was also a military man. So he, he was a, a band leader in the military in Mexico. And he, but he still, he only taught it to a, a select few. So then came his daughter, my, my grandmother, Madre Sarita. And she... she they had this desire to share with the community. So, you know, being married to a, a military man herself and uh, her father being military, they, they moved quite a bit and they found themselves in Tijuana, Mexico. And eventually she crossed the border into San Diego. And in San Diego, she opened a small little temple. And there in that temple, she began to do faith healings and he- healings and consultations. But her true love was to give lectures and sermons on Thursday nights and, and Sunday Sunday mornings. And it's there where, where you can say that she began to really teach the Tota tradition because it was no longer taboo. You know, Don Ezequiel, he, uh, he lived the majority in, his, in the 1800s. And it was to, a taboo to teach anything outside of Catholicism, uh, or at least the, the ancient traditions of Mexico. And little by little, that dissipated because the Inquisition ceased to exist over 200 years ago. And little by little, that lost power and that taboo slowly began to fade. My grandmother had that desire. She just wanted to share with the community. She began to give lectures. And, you know, uh, her most favorite lecture was to a panel of doctors at UCSD San Diego, University of California, San Diego. And she taught about faith healing to uh, the doctor panel there. So... From there, she began. She became the first woman to be hired as a faith healer in the state of California, here in the states. And from there, her, you know, she became famous, or uh, her notoriety uh, expanded or grew. And her son, my father, Don Miguel Ruiz, was a neurosurgeon, and he had a life-changing experience. And when he had that experience, he had not, he couldn't explain it. And being him, being a medical doctor of man of science, he decided to question it and more look deep into it. And the person she he trusted was my grandmother and his grand, grandfather, the Leonardo. So he let go of being a medical doctor. You know, at the age of 32, 33, he let go of, of practicing medicine and he began to devout, uh, devote his time to studying the family tradition and little by little he began to teach he began to do 
to grow. You know, if if my grandmother opened the gates, my father destroyed the gates and just a, a flood of information just came through. And to such degree that uh, about 17 years after he let go of the medical practice or 15, he, he wrote a book called The Four Agreements. And that book that went around the world. So I can say that with honesty that I'm following my grandmother's vision, her her fire, you can say, and me and my father, myself and my brother, we all three write books. We're basically continuing that tradition. You know, we're doing the things that Don Ezequiel and Don Leonardo couldn't do. And we're 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 thoroughly enjoying the process. It's a it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity. You know, it's an opportunity that we've given permission to share this tradition, this family tradition with the world. And so far, it's been helpful to a certain degree to, to the people who've wanted to listen or have read the book. And we're great, grateful for that. And Miguel, I'm curious with regard to how come your father decided to leave the medical practice and move into this work? Well, according to how he he's described it to me, as a medical doctor, he felt like he was in this... Uh, conveyor belt this this uh he just kept treat, treating the uh, consequences and conditions and symptoms and he never got to the to the root of it you know as, as a doctor he he always worked and he and he worked but he was always treating the consequences and he wanted to get to the root of it so when he had this life exchanging experience that he couldn't explain he decided to focus his attention on what causes a lot of this uh this these conditions, especially as a neuro, 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 neurosurgeon as he was, and he was studying the brain and he was going through psychology as well, he mixed and combined of two traditions. You know, you can say that in my life, I grew up with duality and, and juxtapositions quite a bit. You know, you balanced spirituality and academia, you balanced spirituality and everyday life. And my father found a way to bridge the gap you know he he put it in a language that he could understand he let go of some of the symbols that were toltec you know the symbols of quetzalcoatl Descatlipocatl, the smoky mirror the ethereal egg all those traditional symbols that we grew up with and put it to into a language that we can all understand what he would refer to as common sense and when he put the teachings into what what we know as common sense that's that language was what allowed it to go all around the world. So so from that point of view, it was a desire to let go, you know, to really follow his heart, to follow what he wanted to create. And of course, you can already imagine the the such a decision doesn't come easy, you know, especially married with two children and a third one on the way. He chose to let, let he just took this, this leap of faith, if you want to call it that. And he was successful you know it's 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 not always the case most of us sometimes work and and we let go and may not work but in his case it it worked out has it worked out for you miguel yeah it it has i when i was young i also rebelled you know my father rebelled in his own unique way he became a neurosurgeon he went through the way the science and he had a life experience so i also grew up and i also rebelled against the tradition seems to be that that is a tradition in and of itself in the family and I studied film. I, st- I worked in the film industry in Los Angeles and San Francisco and in Tijuana as well. And um, I got, you know, that's the thing. When you graduate from college, a bubble burst and life happens. And all these things that my grandmother and my father had taught me, you know, growing up as a teenager, being their apprentice, a lot of the stuff felt like it belonged in, in, in a history book. It, 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 what does it have to do with my life? You know, and, and as a child, listening to a father giving them a lesson, you know, we interpret it as our father telling us what to do. Even though I still listened because I love my father, I still wanted to do my own thing. And when I graduated from college, I just went away as far as I could from all of it, went to Oak, Berkeley, went to Oakland and continued studies and worked in the film industry. And then one day, life happened. You know, I've, I've had some... Uh, personal experiences, you know, and, you know, I, when I read the four agreements the first time in 1997, I picked up the book. I read about a couple of chapters and then put it down. It's my dad telling me what to do all over again. But then life happens. I learned my, my experiences. I picked it up like everyone else does. And it, 
it showed me in a totally different way. I saw it for what it was, this instrument that allowed you to heal. So I began to continue the teachings in my own unique way. I used my own language. I used my own understanding of it to continue what my father had done, which is to put it in a language that we could understand. And really what life is, is that it's our greatest teacher. You know, we, we're given these instruments that our teachers are, are, are professors, you can say, this, these uh, spiritual teachers. And life gives us the opportunity to put into practice and it turns out that there are instruments that informs my choices and but i'm the one making the choice so when i understood that and i allowed it to help me and began to share it in that, that same way you know i I'm, i understand that i control to the tips of my fingers and and i'm responsible for what i say but i'm not responsible for what people hear i'm not responsible for the will of another individual but with that understanding, I do my best to be as clear as possible and understand and share the family tradition as clear as I can and only speak about the things I know and don't touch the things I don't know. Miguel, what has been your greatest challenge in regard to these teachings in your own life? I would say when I first started, you know, I used to get the question, which one was the most difficult agreement to follow, which was I used to answer being a peckle with my word or making assumptions or uh, or taking it personally. And then after a while, I realized the reason why it was so difficult it was because I was pretending to be something I am not. I, I was using the four agreements to domesticate myself, to live up to an expectation that didn't exist. And basically, when I used the four agreements to domesticate myself, I corrupted and turned it into the four conditions of my personal freedom. And then that's when I realized that's the reason why it was so difficult, because I was trying to be something I am not. I was trying to live up to this image that doesn't exist. And when I began, I realized that I became aware that, you know, these agreements only have value if I say yes to them, if I agree with them, and if I use them as an instrument to inform my choice. And at, at that point, I accept the truth. I do take things personally. I do make assumptions. I sometimes don't do my best. Sometimes I'm not impeccable with my word. And if you follow the fifth agreement also, sometimes I'm not skeptical at all. And I, I accept the truth of me. But at the same time, it allows me to become aware that I also have a choice to say yes to those agreements. That's what an agreement is. It's just the action of saying yes. So you can say that now it's different because I know that I can use any form of information as this instrument, but I'm the one making the choice. What do you think stops people from being true to themselves? Well, it's, it's basically we, we, be, we believe an illusion or we believe a lie. And, you know, that's the best way to let go. The moment we lose the awareness of who we are or the, the authentic self, whatever expression you want to use, is the moment we prefer the illusion or the lie over the truth. And the illusion or the lies, like, for example, I create an image of Don Miguel Ruiz Jr., one that someone can, if I create this false image of self, and, you know, if I live up to it, then I'm worthy of love, I'm worthy of acceptance. If I don't live up to it, then I'm worthy of my own rejection, of my own punishment. And this is the way I domesticate myself. I love myself conditionally. And because I'm, I want the, the acceptance, I want to be worthy of love, I'm and I believe that, then I'm going to always judge myself against an image that doesn't exist. And because I'm measuring myself to this image that doesn't exist, the thing that happens immediately is that I reject who I am at this very moment, that I reject the person I am right now. So when I become aware that I'm doing that, that who I am and what I am is just this living being, this, this experience of living life, then... I'm comparing myself to an image that doesn't exist. And the way to let go of the illusion or the lie is to accept the truth of who I am at this very moment. And who I am at this very moment is the result of every choice I've ever made in my life. I can't go back in the past and change a no to a yes or a yes to a no. And the future doesn't exist yet. The only thing that exists is this present moment. This present moment that moves with me from the moment I am born until the moment I die. And that's who I am. I'm this living being that's constantly changing, constantly evolving. And to me, that's the reason why some of us forget who we are. We believe that image, that 
people project onto us and that we believe it, that that's who we are. And then we always have to live up to that image. And the willingness to let it go is to really see ourselves as someone without a definition, someone without meaning, just simply a, a living being that gives meaning to every belief I have because I say yes to it. You may or may not know Anthony de Mello, Miguel. He's a monk and he wrote a book called Awareness uh, a while back. But in the book, he said that if we live our lives based on the approval, the acceptance, the praise and popularity of other people, we're destined for misery. Do you think this is true? Oh, yeah, because we're not living our own life. We're living someone else's opinion. We are allowing someone else's prejudice or someone's vision of us uh, uh, to control our lives. And that's the thing that happens when we domesticate ourselves with that image. We subjugate our will. We say yes when we want to say no, and we say no when we want to say yes, all for the sake of living up to an image and uh, that is not even ours. So it's it's definitely something that makes us suffer because our natural tendency is to be free. And when we subjugate ourselves and we make choices, not really reflecting what we really want in life, but because of this projected image or this someone else's prejudice, then we're not living our life and we feel it. We 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 sense it. And it's part of our, our reason why we're not happy with our life because in the short time that we have, whether it be 116 years of life or 25 years, we didn't live life for ourselves. We lived it for someone else's opinion, which is different than living as a community, you know, giving and sharing and creating something together, which is, which is different from living because of someone else's point of view. And at that point, it's not about community. It's about letting someone else subjugate you to such degree that even your sense of self-worth and self-love are subjugated to that point of view. And Miguel, how come so many of us struggle to be authentic in the world? Because we think it's natural, that because we like, this system is was there before we were born, and it, it might stay after we pass away. You know, you can say uh, it's like Mick Jagger in that, in that song. He satirizes, he can't be the same man if he doesn't smoke the same cigarette as me. I can't get no satisfaction. Basically, you know, we lived in a time where a lot of people, in order to sell us stuff. They want to f make sure that we have an inferiority complex that makes us think we need those products. Imagine so many, how many businesses would go out of business if we all of a sudden had a good sense of self and sense of who we are and self-love and self-respect. You know, a lot of companies would lose that business because their whole structure is built upon someone's shame, someone's... Um, self-doubt and someone's sense of lack of in, of security in, uh, of security and it's just a reflection of what some other people do in our life you know it's the best way to control someone else's will is to make them doubt themselves to make them doubt their capacity to say yes and no to make a choice for themselves when you control another individual like that and subjugate their will it's easy to control them and the best way to let go of that is they become aware of the truth. No one controls my will, but but I, and and I am, and I say I as as is the whole great sense of life. You know, I am one with everyone. I'm 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 a living being. You know, you and I are equals because we're both living at this very moment, and we and we're both free to say yes to any direction in life, and we're both free to say no to any direction in life. And we're equals because we're alive at the very mo at this very moment. And to see each other with equals allows us to respect each other's free will, to respect what you say no, to respect you is to respect your capacity to say no, to say yes, as you will it. And the fact that you and I are talking right now is because we both said yes. You know, despite the technical issues we had earlier, we both said yes, let's talk a bit longer because we want to engage. No, we, we create a community because we both say yes, and that's mutual respect. But when we don't have that respect, 
then I don't I don't want to hear that no. I want you to say always say yes, or I I don't want you to say yes. Yes, I want you to say no to the things I want you to say yes or no to. Then that level of control begins to this downward spiral of imposing and subjugation, where the need to domesticate someone else's someone else with, with based on your point of view of who they should be begins this line of disrespect that unfortunately all we have to do is turn on the news and watch the darkest form of that in life and history all throughout the world so from that point of view it's it existed before us you know all we have to do is just watch the history of our countries uh, the history of the world to see that but we can change it and we start with who we are. The only, the only person I'm able to control is myself to the tips of my own fingers. And I can let go of those conditions that subjugate me. You know, you see, the same energy I use to move my arm, to move my leg, is the same energy I use to create a thought. Every thought I have in my belief system has power because I say yes to it. And if there's anything negative in my belief system, I have the complete freedom to change my mind, to say no to that belief, and that belief ceases to exist. That's the thing about a belief. It only exists only while I say yes to it. The moment I say no, it ceases to exist because it's not real. And Miguel, what role do you think consciousness plays in helping us to be more authentic? Well, consciousness is basically... Consciousness or awareness, to me, they're both they're similar or you can say almost the same experience, which is having a communion with the environment that surrounds us and a communion with ourselves, which simply means that I'm able to perceive life without a filter and see life as is, not as I want to see it or what my my domestication tells me I should see it. I see life as it is, which allows me to see myself as I am. Without awareness of who I am, I don't see myself as a symbol, you know, because I'm a sim, I'm an empty symbol whose definition is completely subject to my agreement. Instead of self, I see myself as the experience of me, an experience of a living being that lives life the best I can. And I happen to be 40 years old, which is different from the version of me at being a 30 or 28 or 14 or even a week ago. Every experience changes me. But the awareness with myself, that that consciousness of myself is really just to have that sense of awareness that I am alive at this very moment. I am alive to go in any direction in life, to engage, to, to talk, to to express love if I want to. And I, I have a choice to love people conditionally or I choose to love people unconditionally. The difference is if I love someone conditionally, like I was saying before, I only see what I want to see. Thus, I see life with a filter. But when I love life unconditionally is when I take out that filter, not just with the nature, with life, but with people. And when I, when I let go of that, I see everything as life. And I see myself in that same way. I take out the filter that distorts my perception of myself and see myself as the experience of self, formless, without a definition, knowing full well that if I give myself a definition, it is my intent or my will that gives it power. And to me, that's the consciousness of me, allowing myself simply to experience life through this being, this body, this mind that is me. Do you think it's just enough to be aware of our situation to create a change, or do you think we need to understand it as well? Well, that's the thing, is that... The difference between I want to and I have to. I can't, I can move. The difference between my corpse and the being living being that is here talking to you is that I'm alive. One day I will die, whether it's tomorrow, next week, or 70 years if I live to be as old as my great-great-great-grandfather Don Ezekiel. The difference is that I'm alive. I am this living being that can go in any direction. I'm the infinite possibility. Like a baby, when you hold a ba newborn baby in your arms, you can see that infinite possibility of that being because you're, you, you can see, you can hold them in your arms and you can only imagine them being a doctor, a lawyer, an activist, a radio host, uh, an author, an artist, a soccer player, a football player, in your case. Because we're seeing 
that a being that has their whole life ahead of us. Well, the difference between that baby that my parents held when I was born 40 years ago and the person I am now is that I do know how to control this body. I know how to control this mind, but I'm still that infinite possibility. I have all my, all my life ahead of me. Today is the youngest I will ever be. How do I want to live life? And that's, the, that's where it's key. I choose how to want, I want to live life. I can go in any direction. And if I say yes to that direction that I like, that my preference, I'm going to use this body to, and I'm going to move it. I'm going to use this mind. I'm going to use it. And the awareness is that I'm the one making the choice, that I'm the one moving this body with this energy, this life force that is me and this mind that is me. And I can go in any direction and have complete conscious of what do I want in life? How do I answer? How do I want the rest of my life to be? And that's really beautiful because if I let my belief system dictate how I want the rest of my life to be, then I'm not living life for myself. I'm living it to live, live up to a, a dogma or a political party or a tradition or um, whatever. You know, it's like, if uh, if you if you're attached completely, if you're fanatical about being a Beatles fan, then you're never going to enjoy the Stones. And if you're a fan of the Stones, you're never going to allow yourself to listen to the Beach Boys. And sometimes we can narrow our perception in that sense to the point where you, you don't even willing to listen to Bob Marley. If I'm using the examples of music to explain something that we do with everything in life, if we allowed ourselves to listen to how humanity has lived life, we can learn from the ancestors of all around the world. I can learn from your ancestors just as much as I can learn from mine and the ancestors in Asia and Africa and South America. We live in a time where, for example, right now you and I, we're, we're, we're talking from Ireland and California in the United States and in real time, and we're able to engage each other. And if we listen to one another, we can learn to live life and see how we've engaged it and how we live in order to understand each other. And that's that's the beauty. You know, we're 7 billion human beings living life as unique as 7 billion people are. The nice thing, or the, to me the beautiful thing, is that our free will can take us in all sorts of directions and the, the ability to listen to one another is what allows us to create the community of us. And we can choose to do that with respect or disrespect. And we've had enough history with a lot of disrespect. We're alive to change the direction if that's what we want. And that's the beauty of it because while we're all alive, anything is possible. If a person is living their life to a limited filter, is there a way they can transform that and become more in the world? Well, that's the thing is that you become a, you become aware of the truth. And the truth is that you're only able to control to the tips of your own fingers. We can only give what we have. If we become aware that we've loved ourselves conditionally and domesticated ourselves with an image that doesn't exist, we have a choice at that moment to continue to believe that distortion or do we, we, we choose to let go. You know, it's like an alcoholic or drug addict that has a moment of clarity. And in that moment of clarity, they have a choice. They, they can choose to continue in their illusion or their, their destructive act, or they choose to let go. Here's the thing. A moment of clarity without any action is just a thought that passes in the wind. But a moment of clarity that's followed by an action is becomes a pivotal moment in our life. And we choose how do we let go? How do we regain control of what we say yes and no to? And here's the thing. From that point, we give what we have because we can't give what we don't have. How can we give unconditional love if we don't have unconditional love for ourselves? How can I say namaste to someone if I don't know how to say namaste to myself? I begin by first letting go of those beliefs that subjugate me. And then I forgive everyone who's ever domesticated me, especially my own myself, because I'm the one who used my own words to go against me for all those years.
when I forgive myself for all those years of conditioning or domestication, then I'm able to re-engage life. I can re-engage my community in a totally different point of view because my point of view has shifted, has changed. It's like my wife said once, when when we were, when we found out we were going to have a boy, all my all my wife's wounds with men and and the issues of the tradition that she grew up with came to the forefront, and she had a, an emotional reaction. And one of the things she said is, "How am I going to teach a, my a boy how how to respect women? Because I only know women. How am I going to teach them to be respect women?" And I said to her, "Love, there." There's not enough lectures or sermons that are going to work. The only way he's going to learn how to respect women is by watching me respect you. And that's the truth. And not, not just with my son, but with everyone in my life. If I want to teach everyone how to respect people, well, they'll learn it by watching me respect them and respect everyone's free will. And I, I may disagree with people, but I respect their choice. I respect their choice and their ability to say yes and no. I celebrate that. For example, right now, I'm, I'm fully aware that I'm as I say things, people will agree with me and disagree with me at the same time, having said the exact same words, because people's perception are different. Well, I celebrate that difference because I don't control anyone else's perception. They're completely free to make agreements and or disagree or disagree or agree with me in whichever way I celebrate that. That's what allows us to be unique and to understand one another. So for me, that ability to have respect for one another comes from respecting ourselves. And that's how we share this tradition. This is how we engage one another. This is what we control to the tips of my fingers this is what I control. I either see life through this conditioning or I let go of all those beliefs that subjugated me and I see life in a totally different way. That's up to me. Because oftentimes when a person's going through a period of transformation, it can be very challenging for them. Yeah. Do you think there is a way that he can experience this change without experiencing the fear associated with it? Well, here's the thing. Respecting fear. Yeah, for me... The, the main function of fear is to keep us safe. That's that's really it. You know, if if we're in front of danger, if if you're in front of a rattlesnake, or someone with a gun, fear allows us to try survive. You know, either by fighting, fleeing, or freezing. You know, the body will secrete all these chemicals or 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 um, hormones that allows us to survive an impact that you know we 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 got a strength or whatever. So it's natural, but what tends to happen is that we tend to abuse fear like the way we abuse alcohol. An example is like, imagine we're watching a movie, we're, we're seeing the, the uh, poltergeist or we're watching the, the Exorcist for the very first time and we ha or the Blair Witch Project back when it was scary. And even though there's no danger in front of us, our mind is perceiving danger and the body reacts with fear. That's... That's how the mind is so powerful that if we allow ourselves to get trapped into that film, we will experience it. But here's the thing. Our mind is even more powerful than any film projector there is. We can project reasons to be afraid all around the world. And imagine how much we abuse that, how much we paralyze ourselves, how much we're willing to let go of control of our yes and our no because we're afraid to make a choice. So here's the thing. When we are aware of how fear lives in our in life the way to come to peace with it is to one once again respect it to not abuse it and to allow it to keep us safe when we're in danger but when we're not in danger not having our mind project that false evidence that appears real fear and cripple us so here's the thing about change in life and I'm going to use my father as an example, and myself, of course. My father had this moment of realization that as a medical doctor, as a neurosurgeon, there was a limit to what he wanted to do. And he achieved what his domestication had pushed him to do, which is to achieve a, a level of mastery of a medical practice. But 
there was no passion. And when there's no passion, what kind of doctor are you? What kind of doctor are you or whatever professional craftsman you are when there's no passion and you're only doing it because you're trying to live up to someone else's expectation? My father was aware of that choice and he made a bold move. He let go of it to follow something that was his passion, which is to help someone in a totally different way. And he was successful because he followed his passion. For me, I worked in the film industry and all of a sudden I wanted to be a father. I wanted to be able to help and share my family's tradition and passion was kicked in. It was at first it's difficult because we're facing the unknown because sometimes we stay in our domestication. We stay in our fear because that's what we know. But the thing about fear is that it doesn't allow us to see that life continues even after a, a moment. You know, when we're so attached to an idea and we're so used to it, it's hard to imagine life without living with that idea or that belief. If we decide to let go, we become aware that we're still alive. And while there's life, anything is possible. We can we can survive. We can learn to engage. We can learn to do those things. Right now, my my mother, she's 64 years old, and a few months ago, she retired from her work because her body could no longer do the work she was doing. And she was a pit boss at a casino. <laughs> she loved working. She liked working. She worked there for 25 years. She enjoyed it. And then her body couldn't do it and she didn't like the hours and she accepted the truth that her body was telling her. So she let go, but she didn't want to live with one, either one of me or my brothers. She wanted to still be independent. So she reinvented herself. She reinvented herself and became in as, uh, by default, a, a, a project manager for all the family. You know, she's like, all right, you guys are busy. Let me help you with this. Let me help you with that. And she's been really busy. You know, she keeps telling me, I don't know how I did all these things while I still worked. Like, I'm a bit more, I'm busier now than I was before my retirement. That's, that's the thing about life. When we've chosen to listen to our heart and be aware that we're no longer happy doing what we're doing. And we want to make a change in our life that makes us happy, that fulfills not only just our soul, but fulfills our, our heart. It is, a mo it's not even bravery. It's, it's this willingness to live life. And the only thing holding you back is fear, but a false fear, a false fear saying that we're not going to be able to survive. We won't be able to live without this, this comfort zone, this comfort zone has kept you alive. Why would you want to do that? Well, here's the thing, because we are alive. And while there's life, anything is possible. Let's give life the opportunity to say yes to us just as much as it has the opportunity to say no to us. It's better to, to let life say yes or no to us rather than us saying no to us with our, based on our fear and hold us back because of it. So I wish I could say there is a magical pill that takes away the fear. But for me, when I, when I speak, or even when I do an interview... I always get those goosebumps. I always get nervous. And the, the, the thing that allows me to get over that fear is opening my mouth. And as soon as I open my mouth and the words are coming out, hey, I can do this. Let's do this. And that's, that's, that's it. The willingness to take a step. And Miguel, I heard a while ago that when a person has optimal self-trust, they have optimal self-love. Do you think this is true? Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, we use different words for anything. Ultimate love, for me, is the same as unconditional love, which is simply allowing that emotion of love to be expressed without any fear. To me, that's really it. To allow ourselves to feel love without the fear of what will they say, what will they think. It's not even the fear of getting hurt. It's just simply allowing ourselves the permission to enjoy that feeling at this very moment. It's like allowing ourselves the, 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 allowing ourselves the pleasure of feeling our pleasure when we eat a great meal or hug a dear friend or kiss our beloved. It's love, have, experiencing ultimate love or unconditional love is just simply the moment we allow ourselves 
to experience it. And that's what conditional love is. Conditional love is like a dam that holds that emotion back. And I'm only able to experience it only if I live up to a certain expectation and certain requirements are, are met. If I take, if I open that floodgate, if I destroy that dam, love flows without any fear. I, it's, it's, it's the same as saying, I, I'm no longer afraid to experience me being alive. It's the same. And what do you think stops us from actually experiencing that in our lives? Guilt, shame, part of our domestication. We have, we have to live up to someone's expectation in order to feel that. You know, it's, it's back to what we talked at the beginning. You know, like I said before, domestication is a system of reward and punishment by which we model the behavior of an individual. If you live up to the expectation, you get the reward. And since we're emotional beings, that reward feels like acceptance, which feels like love. When we don't live up to the expectation, we're worthy of the punishment, which feels like rejection, the opposite, love, the lack thereof of love. And one of the things that we use is that guilt, is that shame. It's a shame of our body, ashamed of our senses, ashamed of life. And, that's, and you can say that some people are, it's, it's heavier, you know, it's more powerful than others. And to let go of it, to let go of those conditions, those beliefs that subjugate us is what freedom is. Personal freedom is, is to be to say yes and no with a complete freedom of life. And one of those things is to allow ourselves the permission or simply let go of the permission, just simply allow ourselves and say yes to the experience, yes to life, yes to ourselves, yes, you know, it it, it it can go in any direction, yes to our passions, yes to our frustrations, yes to this, I disagree with that, I disagree with him, I disagree with her, I'm okay with that, but I respect it. And that's the key, to allow ourselves to be us, and what keeps peace with us, what allows us to live in harmony is mutual respect. That mutual respect that we have for ourselves is the respect I'm going to give. And if I'm ashamed of myself, if I feel guilty for being me, based on someone else's point of view, then it's hard to give that respect to anyone else. You know, common sense, common, common courtesy, common is, is the key to good manners you can say you know we, we we do that because we want to be courteous to someone we want to share the same respect that we want to receive on others so for me no longer being guilty of this body no longer being ashamed of what i look like or what this body looks like whether i'm five foot eight with a with a receding hairline and a belly i if i let go of that then i'm seeing myself for the very first time and i choose to love myself this is who i am and miguel who have you found it hardest to love in your own life oh that's easy myself you know for the longest time you know if i look back on my life the hardest person to love was myself because I believed every 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 judgment. I believed every precondition. You know, like you you grew up in Mexico. I grew up in Mexico, and if I look more European, you're you're more accepted. If you look more indigenous, you're re rejected. And you know, I grew up with racial taunts and whatever. And eventually, little by little, I let go of that. I let go of that believe that I'm inferior to someone else's just sheer by by my natural features. I'm I'm not inferior to anyone, nor am I superior to anyone. I'm a living being, and I'm living the best with what I've got and who I am. So you can say that shedding all those conditions was liberating. And I can say well, the hardest person to love was myself because well, that's the person I saw from the moment I was born. From the moment I'm born to the moment I die, but I'm the first person I see myself in the morning, and I'm the last person I say good night to at night. This is me. So, how do I want to live the rest of my life with me? Do I because I can't escape myself. You know those moments of solitude, 
is when you see the truth of how my relationship with myself is. If I'm alone and I can't stand to be with myself, then that's the true nature of what my relationship is. And I have a choice. I, I, I can allow that disharmony to continue or I can take the time and heal it. I can heal it through spirituality. I can heal it with psychology. I can heal it with therapy. I can heal it with music. I can heal it with all the instruments that humanity has created, all the beautiful traditions that humanity has created to let go of conditional love. And that's the beauty of it. You know, your tradition has many wonderful things that lets go of conditional love. My tradition has also done it as well. You know, we, we, we're human beings who have experienced life and we've experienced the ups and downs. So, yeah, that's my answer. They say that attachment is one of the root causes of suffering. Can you tell me a little bit about this? Yeah, well, an attachment is to make something that's not a part of you a part of you by an emotional investment or intellectual investment or energetic, whichever word you want to use. But here's the thing, an attachment is natural and normal for as long as we're able to detach when a moment is over. You know, we can call attachment a form of engaging a moment. I engage this conversation, for example, and when the conversation is over, I'm able to detach. Or you can say disengage, attach, detach, attach, detach, or engage, disengage. It's, it's normal, but what makes it unnormal, what, what makes it unhealthy, that's the better word, what makes it better unhealthy is that when the moment is over, I'm so attached that I'm not able to detach, that I lose the capacity to detach from a moment. And all of a sudden I'm stuck. I'm stuck in a moment that no longer is life. And I'm holding on because I define myself by that moment. And the worst thing that can happen is for that moment to change. So now I'm doing the very best I can to keep it alive, to keep it relevant because I, I see myself through this attachment. You know, yes, you can say that. I don't know, in here in America, there's a movie called uh, Napoleon Dynamite and there's a, a character named Uncle Rico. And Uncle Rico is this uh, guy who was a quarterback in 1984 and he won the championship and he found all this glory and he was loved by everyone because he was that state champ quarterback and then fast forward 20 years later he's still driving in the same band still wearing wearing his high school uh football jerseys and still dreaming of becoming this big person but he's not living life at this present moment he's still stuck in 1984 that year where he was cool and now he is not, but he's doing desperately, desperately trying to stay relevant even after 20, well, in our case, 30 years have passed. So an attachment that strong can lead us to one thing, it can lead us to blind ourselves and attach ourselves to, to such a moment that we become like Don Quixote de la Mancha where all these books of chivalry tell us what to do and I only can do what these books tell me to do and I begin to distort everything. I distort windmills and I see them as giants and I see uh, an old sad horse and I see the stallion of a horse or I see uh, Dulcinea and even though in the movie, in the book, he never, never meets her, in the movie he does and it's Sophia Loren. And he projects that beauty of Sophia right onto this lady who is not really Sophia. And he does only sees what he wants to see. So when we're so attached, we begin to distort knowledge or our perception to such degree that we're no longer seeing life as is, especially ourselves. And worst of it, we're, we're no longer living life. We're no longer able to let, let go of a moment and engage in a new moment because we, that's what we know. That's what makes us feel comfortable. That's what makes us feel safe. And fear comes in of the unknown. So from that point, to the ability to detach is just simply that moment where we, we accept the truth that this moment is no longer serving us and we're still alive. Miguel, how do you think these attachments prevent us from being our, our authentic self? Because our, our perception begins to be uh, distorted by the attachment. You know, we begin to see ourselves 
like that image in that moment. And that's the thing. We, we change. You know, like, we're, I'm not the same person I was when I was 14 or 28 or even a week ago. I change. And an attachment doesn't allow me to see that change. It, it, it freezes me in time. Just as a, a belief that no, not, that's no longer relevant is still, you, you still try your best to keep it relevant, even though it's no longer reflecting life. And it's, it's, we, we, we live in a life of illusion at that moment. The big part of being authentic as well, Miguel, is actually honoring our emotions. Mm. What are your thoughts on this? Well, our emotions are real. What may trigger them may not be real. You know, the, the image I like to use is examples when my son was born. I was holding in my arms and I was so happy. I was so incredibly happy about holding my, my son in my arms. And then in my thought, you know, my mind was a firm ground for a, a moment of doubt or a moment of fear. And I thought of the word SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. And all of a sudden, for the very first time, I felt the fear of what it is to lose someone you love that much. And all of a sudden, my whole body changed. I could feel fear going all around my body. And nothing changed. Nothing. My, my son was still alive. My, my son was in my arms. And the only thing that had changed was I, I paid attention to a thought that brought so much fear into my body. That's why I say our emotions are real because I was experiencing that emotion. But what triggered it was not real because at that moment, my son was not dying, nor does he have had SIDS. But my mind perceived it and I was firm ground for it and I reacted. So for me, my emotions are this instrument of transformation because it exposes the truth. You know, it's like a car alarm. You know, you put on the, the car alarm and when you touch it, it just goes off, alerting you to that's to something uh, threatening it. Well, our emotions are the same way. Whenever our emotions of anger or frustration or sadness or fear come roaring in, it's because a thought has been triggered, a, a wound has been triggered and it's now exposed. And like I said before, a moment of clarity is that moment where we become aware of the truth and we have a choice to con either continue believing it or to let it go. And now this wound this belief is completely exposed by my emotion. What do I want to do with it? Well, I give it scrutiny. I give the scrutiny. I, I'm able to say, is this still truth? Is this still valid? Is, still, is this something I still believe in? And if it doesn't survive my scrutiny, I'm able to let it go. I'm able to say, I no longer believe it. And I begin the healing process. You can say that's, that's part of what we do in, in, in psychology, you know, that we there we work with our therapist or our doctor and we process our emotions. We bring out to light that which we've forgotten or we've kept subconscious. And now that we're exposing it, we can begin the healing process. And that's the beauty of it all. You know, we, our emotions are this instrument that allows us to become aware of that belief that condition that wound and we are honest with ourselves and we say to ourselves do i want to continue living life with this or do i want to let it go do i continue to believe in it or do i choose to no longer believe in it and that's the power we have and that's why i think it's one of the most beautiful wonderful powerful instruments we have because it exposes the truth when it when it gets triggered and that's how we honor our emotions because that emotion is our experience. This is how we're feeling. This is how I'm, I'm feeling at the very moment. Do I want to continue feeling like this? And the answer is no. There we go. We continue on with the process. If one of our listeners is listening in today and they're struggling to be authentic in their lives, like, is there any practical steps they could take to be more true to themselves? Sure. Allow yourself to enjoy your breath. Okay, here's the thing that I say by that. It's the most simplest thing. It's the one thing that we can all experience, our breath. Our breath is when we, we allow in the air that surrounds us, the environment that surrounds us to nurture us. And when we exhale, we nurture the environment that surrounds us. It's the most beautiful symbiotic relationship there is. We give life 
to these plants, these plot, these flowers, these leaves, and those plants give us life with with the air we breathe. We are alive, and allowing ourselves to experience our breath is allowing ourselves to experience being alive. And at that moment, the sense of who you are, the authentic self that you are, life, is completely exposed. And if you're breathing and all of a sudden you have in your the forefront a thought that says, "Who? how dare you think this? How dare you do that? Become aware of something. All those beliefs that are, you're hearing in your mind and in your fear are only there because you say yes to it. You have all the complete power to change your mind, to let go of it, to no longer believe it. Here's the thing. Every word we use is an empty symbol whose definition is completely subject to agreement. When we say something is perfect, it's something that is completely free of any flaw. Well, guess what? We define what a flaw is. There's no such thing as flaw in nature. Everything is perfect because there's no such thing as a flaw. The, a flaw only exists in our belief system, in, in the, the language and knowledge that we've used with the agreements with one another. Which means we're judging ourselves with the, with the things we believe it, we believe in, and we can let go of it. We are perfect at this very moment because we are alive, and because we are alive, I can go in any direction in life I want. And today is the youngest I will ever be. How do I want to live my life? And from that point. To experience yourself, your authentic self, is not looking through yourself through a definition, because now you know that a definition is completely subject to agreement, then the authentic self is the experience of you, the experience of being who you are, a living being, a living being with a full capacity to live life in any way, shape, or form. And while there's life, anything is possible, especially healing from the wounds that conditional love has left in our life. And all that from our breath. All of that just from allowing ourselves to experience our breath. And, you know, for me, I, 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 I run. I, I, I run half marathons and full marathons. And I get for 26 miles or 13.1 miles, I get to experience my breath over and over and over. It's a wonderful experience. It's what people do in yoga. It's what people do when they kiss, when they when they engage each other in love. Is when we pray. It's when we sing, and when we dance. When we do the things we love to do. It's just that moment where we're aware that we are alive, and it's wonderful. Finally, if anybody wants to find out more about your work or your book, like how could they do it? Well, they can find me at my home base, which is miguelruizjr.com, my website. You know, I'm, I'm also on Facebook and social media and all that kind of thing, but my home is my website, miguelruizjr.com. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Oh, Miguel, thank you, thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm really um, honored, and I hope you have a wonderful time and you're enjoying the, the rain and the mist. Oh, I'm loving it, <laughs> loving every minute of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm going up to Seattle in a couple of days, so I get to experience something similar. So, Great. yeah, I get to have a cup of coffee. Thanks very much. Thank you too. Have fun. Enjoy everything I in will. life. I will. Thanks very much. Right. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Thanks for listening to another inspiring and thought-provoking show of The Health Zone. I'm Mihal Mahuna. Just to remind you, you can find us on facebook.com forward slash The Health Zone Show or you can join our Facebook group, The Health Owners. We're also on Twitter, Instagram and pin interest under The Health Zone. To gain further invaluable resources on health and well-being, go to our website www.thehealthzone.com thehealthzoneshow.com When you're on there, join The Health Zone and you'll receive a free copy of my latest ebook, 7 Ways to Boost Your Overall Well-Being. Finally, 
I would love to hear any feedback you may have on the show and even if there are any particular guests or topics which you're interested in, please email me on tunein at thehealthzoneshow.com. Until next time, this is Michal. Thanks for listening and I wish you a very healthy, happy and authentic week. Living your way.